We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Just in time for rapid fire. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. Let's do it. You sound like you're in an echo chamber there tonight. Yeah, well, uh, maybe it is a little bit echoey. I'll talk quieter. Oh, that's all right. We've all we've all got microphone issues. I think it's one of those days today. So Bruce Feldman recently said he thinks Notre Dame's game against Ohio State will be like playing in a three-point shooting contest against Steph Curry for the Irish. He predicts a 45-24 Ohio State win. Do you buy or sell that? I think I kind of I, – I sell it because I don't like the comparison. You can't compare a three-point shootout to a football game anyway. I get his point. There's a lot of offense and that they're overmatched. I don't agree with him saying that they're – because they're, they're, there's a reason why Notre Dame's a top-five team. For better or for worse, right now the rankings came out. you got to believe they're going to put up a fight and be in this game. I think Notre Dame, the, the thought that they can't play in the big game – it's not really fair because some of the big games they were playing in were against Alabama and Clemson, who were the best teams in the country. So at that point, I think that Notre Dame is going to be able to uh, – I think they're going to be able to hang tight with them and at least play a good game because I think they've closed the gap on the upper-level talent than in the country than they have been in the previous years. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess he's saying that, that using the Steph Curry analogy that Notre Dame is shooting two pointers down in the low post and Steph Curry is just out there bombing threes. So you're trading two for threes all over the place. I just, I don't, I don't buy it because I think that again, the picture most people nationally, especially have of this Notre Dame team is one that had a problem running the football last year. The offensive line was not good. And also of a Tyler Buckner, who is basically just in there to be a, 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 you know, a bit of a glorified running back for the most part last year who would throw every now and then. He's a much more fully developed quarterback. He's not just going to run around out there. And with some of the targets that he has, Lorenzo Styles, for example, Braden Lindsey, for example, you know, guys who can get deep. Jaden Thomas is a guy with some deceptive speed who has some size as well. And, of course, you got Michael Mayer out there between those guys between the fact, uh, again, they're going to have to win the turnover margin or at least push in that department and not you know, not have any game-changing plays go against them, but they are going to have to run the football. They're going to have to control it to an extent. I'm not saying that they've just got to 
ram the ball down Ohio State's throat, they have to have a legitimate running game. But they also get that, and especially all it's going to take is Tyler Buckner to catch Ohio State off guard once or twice with the arm that he has because he has a legitimate arm. And again, he has legitimate receiving options. All, all it's going to take is to him to catch them off guard once or twice and then be able to mix in the running ability that he has, plus Audric Estime and Tyree and these guys. I just don't see it running away like guys like Bruce Feldman and so many other people think that, that it's going to get away from Notre Dame that quickly. And and not only them, but FanDuel and, and DraftKings, all the spreads keep growing, and I don't get that. Yeah. I think uh, Notre Dame, the thing is, is that you talk about turnovers. I There's no way you can quantify the stat, but just mistakes in general. Like maybe it's not a turnover, but maybe Notre Dame has a shot at an easy interception and drops it or something like that. They have to play better or closer to their their level of talent that Ohio State maybe does, but that doesn't mean they can't. And the level of talent's not that big. You know, Ohio State maybe has – they've had the better program for a while. And what a fun game to open up with in general. Like yeah. how awesome they're not opening up with Marshall. They have this big matchup right away. So uh, to run away with it, maybe you can – maybe Ohio State has strengths of Notre Dame. That's the goal. You want to be better than your opponent. But I don't think that it's trading threes for twos and losing points all across and bleeding out the whole game, like he says. Yeah, I mean, there's no question the secondary is going to have to step up to the challenge, and everyone's worried about Clarence Lewis. I think Tariq Bracey is probably the key in this game. The guy in the nickel, you know, how much does he play on Jackson Smith and Jiba? He had like 70 some catches out of the slot last year, you know. So, like, how much is Tariq Bracey solely responsible for him, and do they move? Smith and Jiba around and like does Bracey follow you know that kind of thing I don't you know Clarence Lewis is going to be a factor for sure but so are those freshmen I think I think that one of the key guys in this whole matchup is is going to end up being Tariq Bracey and what kind of defense that he can play so and I, it's it's always interesting because it's like as a defensive person defensive minded it's like well how do you how am I going to let you beat me and so like they get to pick how they want to do it it's like you know if you can stop this guy now is the running game going to be more important? Is there going to be more throwing? You get to control that kind of if you put, you know, if you're on goal line defense on, and you know, obviously they're going to throw more, but you know, and finding the middle ground there. So it'll be interesting to see the chess match and the the coaching, which is a complete question mark for Notre Dame right now, a new head coach. So it'll be interesting to see how it develops during the game. But I still think that there's no way the game's going to be. 20 points or more like they're kind of saying on all the apps and and the national pundits are saying vegas baby vegas that's right we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ohio State has more experience, but Notre Dame has more unknowns that Ohio State is going to have to try to prepare for. Which do you think is the big advantage, bigger advantage for either team? The fact that Ohio State has the experience or that Notre Dame does have these unknown components like a Tyler Buckner and what exactly he can do in the passing game and the you know the offensive line and those kind of things. I think it, you're right. I think it's both. Both of them are positives, but I'd say that Ohio State has the experience edge here, and that means more than the unknowns. The unknowns could be anything, but the if it was – a mediocre team, the experience wouldn't matter as much. But the fact that it's Ohio State and they've been good, they've been good for a long time, I think that all that experience really does add up to be a good thing. If it was a lesser opponent, then the experience wouldn't matter as much and the unknown would be a bigger edge because just because it's an unknown doesn't mean it's a negative. It's not like last year either where we knew the unknown was the offensive line, but it wasn't an unknown. We just knew it wasn't good. (laughs) There's a big difference. So I would say right now, looking at this matchup, I would definitely put the Ohio State experience as more of a positive than Notre Dame's unknown. But I think they're both good things for both programs, both teams coming into the game. And you know who really wins are the fans. Right. Well, and I think the biggest experience factor is just the quarterback. You know, like Tommy Reese has talked about. Tyler Buckner played at Virginia Tech. Yeah, that you know that that's that's something. And he's played in played in. Obviously, again, in small parts in these games like USC and North Carolina, the package. It, it's know. important that he at least got on the field last year. I do believe that, so he doesn't just go out there with rubber legs and you know looks around in the stadium, looks five times bigger, you know, than it actually is, <laughs> and that kind of thing. You just get getting swallowed up by the moment. But at the same time, there's still you know again like pretty much everything that Tyler Buckner did when he came off the bench last year was a predetermined play from the sideline. It was like, you're going to do this. And now he's actually going to have to, he's going to have to see what happens pre-snap, move his protections around. How many timeouts is Tyler Buckner going to have to burn? Like if he's not burning through timeouts in the first half, I think he's in pretty good shape probably out there, but little things like that. Like when you're talking about a quarterback in CJ Stroud, who was in the exact same situation last year, that position specifically, I think it waits in that direction. But like I was thinking about last year, Notre Dame going to Ohio State or to Florida State in that season opener. Everyone from Florida State, because of what Notre Dame was in 2019, uh, I, I guess that would have been 2020, actually, like they all thought that they were going to be this power running team that was going to try to ram the ball down their throat. Well, that's not how it turned out It because the offensive line was not good. It turned out Jack Cohn had a career passing day that day. And again, like, if you look at Notre Dame on film from a year ago, you see a pretty soft offensive front. The offensive line is not much, but as we have seen when we've been able to lay our eyes on it during training camp, that's going to be different this year. So, you know, that's that and that's that's kind of what got me thinking about this. The, you know, the experience versus the unknowns. I think the most important position on the field is the quarterback. And and so because of that, I think that there again, there's some things that that Notre Dame is going to be able to do that Ohio State will not be ready for. But that experience at the quarterback position is going to be huge. I think it kind of goes hand in hand with what you're saying. But 
it's not only as a quarterback position. That's obviously the most important. That's the CEO on the field, right? Yeah. But the head coach is also a question mark. And it's and you talked about how it's good that Buckner had some games last year and was able to, you know, get like knocked it and you get used to the, the the stage, I guess is a good way to put it. But Freeman not coaching in that bowl game. I know they threw him in a BCS bowl game and that's a lot to deal with. Yeah. How good is it that he has one game under his belt because that game didn't go so great for Notre Dame, but he has a game under him. So at least he's been the head coach for one game before he starts his head coaching debut, which is and weird I think as it sounds, knows, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I mean, it helps him. I think that having that experience lets him, let him know some things that he needed to evaluate and work more on to, to try to prepare for in the offseason. Again, there's nothing like actually going out there and having to make decisions in 40-second intervals on, on a football field as a HUD head coach, but you know, it, you're exactly right about that. That inexperience is, is big as well, but at the same time, he's a smart guy. He's got a good staff around him. Ryan day was in that situation before just a few years ago. Lincoln Riley was in that situation just a few years ago. So it's, it's not like, it's not like other high profile coaches haven't been able to come in, become a, a first time a head coach and have success. It's just that now you're in you're in a prime time environment right Top off the, the bat. Week. You're not you're not getting Marshall and UNLV to start off the season. Well, so. I also think it's important. Like I'm kind of going off the rails here a little bit because it's not about experience anymore. Well, that never happens. Ohio State. I don't. I think they took a step backwards last year from where they had been with their tradition of excellence. So I think they have and some questions. And well. that's it's like I was just talking to Chase Brown. It's amazing. When losing two games is considered taking a step backwards, you know. Well, then- it's different for them because they haven't been playing all these marquee games off off their schedule, off of the conference schedule. Yeah. So to lose to Michigan, that's different because I don't I don't know if the Big Ten as a whole is as good as people think. So if they took even a small step back, because they did, because they lost to Michigan, and that's that that means something. Yeah. They haven't lost to them in how long? So I think there's still a little bit of question marks. Are they trending steady up or down? And I, I feel like they're a little bit down. And I think a part of it's Ryan Day. You know, he how many years has he been there now? This is his Going third or fourth year. Fourth year. So I, I just wonder if they're still going to be at that level that they were, you know, four or five years ago. So I'm not saying they're bad by any means. And I, I understand why they're favorites. I just think – that that gap of uh, the spread is just so big, and I don't think it's going to be the the blowout people think. Yeah, the I national agree. people. So, on a scale of one to ten, how much do you agree with this statement? Notre Dame will beat Ohio State if it rushes for at least two hundred yards against the Buckeyes. I agree with that pretty high. I'd say eight, eight out of ten, because that means that you're melting the clock, you're limiting possessions, you're you're finding your wheelhouse. Because if you if you get to 200 yards, that means it's working. If you, if you're exactly, if exactly. you're at 27 yards rushing at halftime on 27 carries, you're not going to keep doing it. Right. So I think that that means that indicates there was some level of success. So I would say that there is a good shot that that means Notre Dame's winning. Yeah. I, it just you nailed it right there. If you're over 200 yards rushing, it's not because you're at the end of the game and you're down by two touchdowns and you're still <laughs> trying to grind out some yards because. You're, you know, and 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 again, I'm not saying that number does not mean that they're not going to be throwing the ball as well. I mean, it, like if they're at 200 yards 
rushing, I could easily see them two to two fifty passing as well. You know, and Tyler Buckner having a, a big game all the way around. So I I agree. I'm I'm around an eight as well. If they are up around that number, it's going to be. That means it's it it will have been a very good night for Notre Dame because of what you said. You're not going to keep running the ball if you're not in the game. So I I, I would stick with that as well. It's always amazing when we agree. I think a better question is um, one to ten. What are the odds you think that they have 200 yards rushing at the end? Yeah, and I just don't know because like even asking Chase Brown what he thinks this defense is going to be, he's not sure. I think that they can at least be in the 160 range, and even that would still be a pretty good night if they're in that 160 type range, 150, 160 against these guys. Because, you know, again, okay, so yeah, Knowles was brought in to revamp a defense that got gouged a couple of times last year, and, you know, and really got gouged by Utah as well, for that matter, in the Rose Bowl, even though they ended up winning that game by Shoot. a field goal. But, you know, Michigan and, and Oregon gouged them. There's a lot of questions on their defensive line. I, I I would give a slight advantage to Notre Dame's offensive line. Now, again, like we can, you know, having been there at practice, we can see what the improvements are with Notre Dame's offensive line. We haven't been there at Ohio State practice, so we don't know what that defensive line looks like. The defensive line and the linebackers were both average last year. And Knowles defense is more focused around the secondary. It's safety driven, as he likes to say. So I think that that is all good for Notre Dame. So I think that they've at least got a chance to be in that 160-ish range. And again, if they're in the game, they can be pushing potentially that 200 by the time it's all said and done. So the you always do this to me, so I'm going to do it to you. So the okay. answer to my question was 1 to 10. How confident are you that Notre Dame can get to 200 yards? Can get to 200? I would say I'll give it a 6.5, 7. Wow, that's pretty high. That's so higher what, than I would give. But. To, to me, to me that well, so like, what would you give? So you're like in the four or five range. Yeah, that's exactly where I'm at. Four point five to five because it's a coin flip, right? There's so many unknowns about the first game of the year, anyway. And that's what I kind of enjoy about it. But I, I think they have a shot at doing that. And like you say, then so you're you're almost saying that you think they're going to win. Because if you're at a seven or an eight, that they can get to that number, and you said that well, eight means that they win. So you're pretty high on a chance for Notre Dame victory. I think they're going to be in the game. I still, as of right now, have Ohio State winning, but I do think they're going to be in the game in the fourth quarter. Which and that is comment's pretty telling as well because that those rushing yards, or a lot of them are going to come from the quarterback position. Yeah. And it's not just scrambling to make a throw. He has the ability to run, which is a little bit different than what we've been used to for Notre Dame. Right. So we've been talking about Jim Knowles, and I, you know, I said this yesterday. It ain't like Jim Knowles' buddy Ryan. This ain't the 46. Oh my pa pardon my ain'ts, but you know what I'm saying. This ain't the 46 defense of, of Buddy Ryan and the Chicago Bears. He's a good defensive coordinator, and yeah, he's got better talent at Ohio State than he's had at his other stops before. Who has more pressure on him, though? Marcus Freeman for Notre Dame or Jim Knowles for Ohio State? There's only one way that you could say Knowles has any pressure on him more than Freeman. It's because if he fails, he'll never be a head coach ever and like never move up the ladder and keep succeeding. That's the only way because obviously the buck stops and starts with the head coach. If I guess you could say like if Freeman fails, 
Like they could give them an out where if you fire all your coordinators and bring new people in, you can get a different shot. I don't I'm know. I'm not saying somebody's going to be fired after the game. No. Like that kind of pressure. Yeah, the plane's going to leave the tarmac and the coach will still be. No, I, it has to be the head coach, I, especially a rookie head coach. I, You don't ever see a guy that's in charge of a program, and if they fail, feel comfortable. Coordinators can still find their way around and move around, but you only get so many shots as a head coach at a pristine program like this. And I, you know, you like look at Bob Davey. He left and he he ended up in New Mexico. You don't get shots the big time like this as a head coach very often. Yeah. So he's the one that has the pressure, in my opinion. Yeah. To an extent, I agree with what you're saying because this is very high profile and it is his alma mater, and he has deflected that. And I think it's good that he has deflected that. He's trying to keep emotion out of it as mm-hmm. much as possible and keep the attention on the players. I lean a little bit, especially because it's a home game. Like Jim Knowles, again, like, you know, I'm sitting here saying he's not Buddy Ryan and he's not, but at the same time, he's he was essentially brought in to get these guys over the hump and at least into the college football playoff, if not winning a national championship this year. And if you lose at home right off the bat, the odds go against that pretty quickly now they're not going to completely fall out of the championship picture just like notre dame if it's a close game either way but you know like i said before both of these teams are going to be in it this is you know again everything you see this is a complicated defense so it's i have a hard time i have a hard time thinking that he's just going to completely revamp this in game one Again, with some un- unknowns that he's going to be facing on the other side of the ball. So I think I can see what you're saying with Marcus Freeman because he is the head coach, but I lean a little bit more toward Jim Knowles in this matchup. Like if you said for the season, like in this matchup, b- because again, he was brought in to be the change for Ohio State, like the big change for Ohio State. And they look at this as national championship or bust type season. So I think there's a little bit more pressure on him going into this one. Yeah, but I think here's the deal. The the defensive coordinator is in charge of defense. I get what you're saying. I know. Like at the end of the game, if Notre Dame were to win, you know, two to nothing, Notre Dame might look terrible (laughs) or, but the defense for Ohio state could look great and it might not be their fault. They lost. So I'm saying that the, but, but go back to what we're talking about. If Notre Dame does hit that 200-yard mark or even 190 or whatever, and Tyler Buckner's running wild and Audric Estime's hitting some plays, and, you know, all this different stuff, it's not going to be a good-looking night for Jim Knowles at the end of the night. No, and you know what I'm getting out of? It's kind of uh, Van Gorder vibes for Notre Dame. Thinking the same thing. And, you know, and how did that I've work avoiding, out? I've been, I've been avoiding saying that i've been avoiding letting it trip off my tongue but well i'm glad i got to be your scapegoat then (laughs) it's almost like who has more pressure in this show you or me (laughs) i'm joking (laughs) i just i just think the head coach especially a rookie head coach i i know he's a rookie and he he coached one game and he's been around football his whole life but i just think there's so much more there and so much and it's again just what a matchup to start there's so many storylines there's so much you can dissect and talk about it's kept us going almost all off season leading up to this game we're finally yeah. here i just think that a defensive coordinator could have a bad game or grow more later i know what you're saying you're saying for this game i'm still going to put it on the head cuz 
Okay. Maybe at the end of the game, here's I just see more failure points for a head coach to call a timeout at the wrong time or challenge a wrong play or call a wrong play on either side of the ball because you have two times to make the, the, the chances, offense and defense. Right. Versus just a defensive guy who could have a great game, his skies could have a great game, and it still might not matter. So it's always an interesting dynamic because you have offense versus defense. If offense is good, defense is bad. But obviously everybody's trying their, you know, to be the best they can. So that's what makes sports fun in general and competition. I, I just see, think that he has I agree with what Michael is saying here in the chat. Knowles will have a very good defense at Ohio State given his track record and the raw talent he has. But I'll be shocked if we see that in game one. So yeah. how lovely to play them game one. Yeah, exactly. That's I've been saying it all along. Like The, the element of this being a season opener and there being unknowns. Go back to the blue-gold game. I said it wasn't the worst thing in the world that Tyler Buckner didn't play in the blue-gold game. So, because it was, a, you know, it was televised and nobody got a chance to see any glimpse of what a Tyler Buckner offense would look like. So, not the worst thing in the world at all. All right, the College Football Playoffs Board of Managers is going to meet Friday to possibly vote to expand the playoffs. It's an 11-member board that's composed composed of a university president from each of the FBS conferences, as well as Notre Dame. They would need a unanimous vote to expand the playoff before the current contract expires in four years. 2025 is the final year of the contract. So according to the initial report in SI, many of the school's presidents are frustrated over the previous attempts by conference commissioners to vote to expand the playoff. So, scale of 1 to 10, what chance do you give the presidents to actually expand the playoffs early when they vote Friday? When they vote this Friday, I think it's a coin this flip. Friday. I'd say 5. I think it's coin flip. It <laughs> it just sounds like a lot of pettiness. Like we just don't want to vote it in because, you know, other people have wanted it at different times, but the bottom line is always going to be the money and there's more money to be in a bigger playoff. So I think that I, that's the driving force that I think will make it happen. It, yes. I think that will outrank any pettiness that comes from a meeting, and they're just going to see that money, and how can you turn it down when you could have hundreds more million if you double it or whatever? See, it's funny because it's usually the presidents pushing the academics and, oh, how are we going to deal with the academics and juggling extra games in December and all this they, different yeah, stuff. that. <laughs> the you know, the, the athletic directors, the conference commissioners, they couldn't get anything – conference commissioners, I should say. They couldn't get anything done when they voted on it because it had to be unanimous. Everyone had their own agenda they were trying to set. And now, the way things are rolling with USC and UCLA jumping to the Big Ten and all this other talk about teams jumping ship and, you know, swapping conferences and – all this different stuff. I think the university presidents are stepping in and going, look, just let us handle this. Because if they were to expand, what they're talking about is potentially getting this expanded to 12 teams by 2024. So we're talking about just basically three seasons from now. It would be 2024 and 2025. The key to the whole thing is it's got to be unanimous vote to do it early. There's going to be some kind of expanded playoff in the future, but the new contract that starts in 2026, if they don't expand before 2025, 
the new one that starts in 2026, all they have to have is a simple majority and they'll go with, you know, whatever format they decide. I think, you know, again, because it has to be unanimous, that's my biggest hang up. So I think you said like a five, I would say six, you know, maybe a little bit more confident, but it's just the fact that it has to be unanimous to get this expanded early. But I think you nailed it again. They're going to see the dollar signs, a potential 450 million bucks that can be spread all over the place if they do it in 2024. And I think that that is, again, it's what it's all about. Well, you said about unanimous and that's the key. That's the cog in the whole situation here. But I, you know, I can see one president holding out just to be petty. And like I keep bringing up that word. And I just feel like unless there's the only thing that's lucrative for everyone, obviously, is the money. But I, I could see maybe somebody, just one person holding out just to be that pain so that it doesn't happen. And they can make that their their stand and like, like well, I cared more about the competition and their players and the athletes or something crap. They can make something up. I could see the, <laughs> the pettiness come out. So that's I, I hope that it doesn't happen. And I hope that they if they if it if it's all but one, you know, come on, let's let's just all make money here. Why wouldn't they want that? And. It helps everyone, I think, right? It helps the fans, helps the tournament, helps everything. Because right now, I think the four-team playoff is kind of a disaster because those semifinal games are not good to watch. Don't forget, you know, like I just saw this. Where did that comment go? D-Hawk said, if they keep the last agreement that Notre Dame drops to the number five seed, even if they finish ranked one through four, it may be time to join a conference. I think the vote doesn't expand to anything at this point. No, it might not expand anything at this point but as to the first comment you've got to remember right now they they only take the top four what's going to help notre dame stay independent is if this is if the playoff expands to 12 because then that's more opportunity yeah. jack swarbrick basically said i don't care what seed we are if if it goes to 12 teams we've got more opportunities to be in the playoff in any given year. And and that's what he's working for. See, he's willing to concede, you know, one of those top four seeds. And, you know, let's let's face it, they've had what eight years of the playoffs so far. They've made it twice. They've been in the top four twice. So, but they've been a top 10 team just about every other year. So they would have been in the playoff. I think this is just off the top of my head. It's like all but one or two years, I think, at this point. So well Two or three, I guess, going back eight years. But but still, my point is, like the last five years, they would have been probably in the playoff pretty much every year. You know, like those last five years of Brian Kelly. And, and again, that's why Jack Swarbrick was willing to give up. Like even if they're ranked second, they would still take the number five seed because in the long term, it gives it it allows them to maintain the independence because there are – all the extra potential, you know, all the all, all the extra opportunities to make it into the playoff with a 12-team field. There's far more ways for them to make it with a 12-team field. Absolutely. And I think you almost can build your program quicker that way because instead of being ranked sixth and not making the playoffs, you can say like, hey, we were ninth, but we made the playoffs. And if you win one or two games, you get further, you get more notoriety. I think that, you know, for recruiting purposes, I think just making the playoff could help you build better if you just get a win or two here or there. In the playoffs, so Notre Dame, Notre Dame specifically, should want it to expand as rapidly as possible. I think every team should. I think the only teams that won't want it to, like in a pure uh, competitive way, would be the SEC, Alabama's of the world, 
because they they're like, well, we're already going to be in the top four. We're already God's gift to college football. So we're going to be in the top four anyway. So why would they want it to expand? So Chi-Town says an 18 playoff would make so much more sense with 12. You end up with three lost teams and you might, but at the same time, (laughs) well, an an 18 format might be better, but that's it's, they're basically going to 12 or nothing at, at this point, it's going to end up being 12. So it doesn't matter like what we think would be better. It's going to end up being 12 at some point, whether it's before the contract ends or not. How fun would this conversation have been to have in like 1999 when it's barely even one and two get to play? Each oh, other. I know. Yeah. And, now like, and then oh, you would gonna... have said, no, we don't need four. That's too many because then you're going to have a one loss team saying that they deserve to be in. Because if you have two undefeated, they're one and two, like the Texas USC year. You know, so the loss thing, I think we get over in time. We get used to it because like I said, we expanded from nothing to one versus two right. to now four. And I didn't hear people clamoring. There might be a two loss team in the playoff to expand it to four or yeah, to four even. I'm just looking at some of these other comments. Let's go uh, tonight. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Like there was, there was one that I was just looking at. Oh, here it was from Zachary. Do you think it'd be worth it if we have, and away game every year in the playoff to stay independent. Well, if you're the five seed, you're going to get a home game. Like if you're the five, you know, like five would host. I think, it, well, a five seed is going to get to host a game. You know, those those higher, the, the top four teams would get a bye. And then five, six, seven, and eight, I think, would all be hosting like the, the nine, 10, 11, and 12 teams in that first round. So if you're if you're one of the top, five, six, top eight teams, you're either going to get a buy if you're the top four, and then that, that next group is going to get buys. So, and again, sometimes you're, you're not, but you're still going to get revenue from being in the playoffs. And, and that's what everybody that's the wants. bottom line. We're, we're yeah. nitpicking here what the best yeah. system would be. Yeah, And Tom, you know, Tommy says, Brian's idea is awesome. You're right. But again, they're not going to do that. Brian's idea is you play the bowls and then you do the selection for the playoff. I, I like it too, but that's not what they're going to do. So. No, and then you are really are talking about a really long season. Right. Going all the way to almost February. Right. Okay, so tonight's Purdue-Penn State Thursday game was part of the trade that sent Joe Buck from Fox to ESPN. So was it worth the trade? <laughs> For ESPN or Fox? I don't, Take your I, don't pick. See, I don't see how it's worth it. I mean, you – Part of the trade, the other part of the trade is Notre Dame and Ohio State, right? That was the other part of it. No, it would have been that. That oh. was that was initially talked about, but it ended up being Penn just State Purdue was, instead. Okay. Well, then yeah. no, it's definitely not worth. No, yeah, no not the even ESPN close to ABC it. got to keep that Ohio State game, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely not worth it. Then I don't. Joe Buck getting out of his contract and going over there, that's good for him. I'm happy he got to make the move and get – was he getting 16 mil a year or something stupid? Yeah. But, no, that this any game involving yeah. Purdue isn't worth a trade for anything. That could be on the Big Ten network and no one would care. It doesn't matter. What well, I mean, exactly. It should be on the Big Ten network for that matter. But, but it's going to be on Network Fox. And, you know, like when you look at – you know, this is the kind of game, for example – that NBC is going to have in that yep. primetime package they're yep. going to be getting in a few years. This is exactly the kind of game that you're going to get. 
Purdue. And that'll be State. a good get for them. <laughs> like you might have one good team, and then you're going to have a, a, a middling Purdue type team. So yeah, I mean, I I don't think it either. They basically they had to give up something. You know, they they weren't go- ESPN wasn't going to completely stand in Joe Buck's way. You know, they they were trying to work with him, so they're like, yeah, you know, we'll we'll right. we'll give this up. We'll, you know, that kind we'll of give thing. up this layup for nothing. Yeah. On the subject of Joe Buck, fill in the blank. Buck says he'll probably never call a baseball game again, and it'll be blank if that actually happens. Well, it's like what D-Hawk said. He goes, I like Joe Buck announcing baseball, but he's frustrating in football. People love him yeah. as a baseball announcer. Well, so think, let's not go too far. I don't know about that. I mean, I think it's – Because it's usually when the World Series rolls around that most of the Joe Buck hate comes around. You know, sure. oh, Joe Buck hates my team because he got excited because somebody else hit a home run on the other team, you know? I think it's okay that he doesn't do baseball anymore because I don't, it's all to me. The part that was weird is like, he doesn't call a lot during the season and then he just pops up at the biggest games. Yeah. And that's a weird vibe. Like I want him all the way along during the year or doing a weekly or a couple games here and there. So that always bugged me. So I'm okay with him not doing baseball anymore. It's his roots. It's where his dad was. It's where he came from. I get that. He's a voice of the world series for how long, and but it also depends who they replace him with, because if they replace him and the guy's terrible, well, it's Joe Davis. Do you know who Joe Davis is? He's the Dodgers. Voice. Yeah, but I'm saying like in that big stage, who knows how he's going to interact? And yeah, he's a Dodgers guy, so you're going to get the same kind of hate that Buck does for Cardinals or whatever. Yeah, I'm just I'm going to miss Joe Buck doing baseball. You know, I think he's a good baseball announcer. Again, I know a lot of people. There's a lot of people who aren't going to agree with that. And if you watch baseball. At all, um, you know, uh, yeah, you get so used to watching your local announcers. It's it's mostly local announcers during the season that it gets to the playoffs, and you're used you're used to your local announcers getting excited at everything your team does, and not being excited at every team the other team does. And then when you get network announcers, they're getting excited when big plays happen, regardless. And that's when you get the whole Joe Buck hates my team and and all that kind of stuff because they're getting excited at stuff that you're usually not you're not used to people getting excited about when you're watching TV. I'm going to miss it. I think at some point probably somewhere down the line it he calls out. a game or two. He's still going to be at ESPN. That doesn't mean he's going to do a full schedule, but I would think that he'll he'll jump in there and do something down the I could see him doing the Sunday like night game with them and starting and being in that booth maybe. Yeah during the summer or big matchups or something. But I, I the thing is, is I'm okay. Cause I want to hear him do Monday night football. Yeah. So I'm too. okay with him not doing baseball for a week that I get to hear a whole season Monday night football at Joe Buck. I think it's going to be good to, uh, to, to have that, that Monday night booth, like that, that real legitimate Monday night booth that we probably haven't had what since Michaels and Madden were doing it before everything kind of switched up Aikman and Buck doing Monday night football is going to be a lot different sound. I think it's going to be weird seeing the graphics of ESPN with their voices. Cause you just get used to Fox and like the, the Megatron animation they have and all the music and stuff. And now it's going to be all ESPN stuff. Bobby, what do you consider to be the two worst sports months of the year? See, I'm thinking about this, and I kind of think 
I'm going to put August and December as my two picks. Mm, okay. Just because I don't want to do two summer months because I really do like baseball because you get something every night if you want it. It's nice outside, so you don't need sports as much. But August is dry. It's it's rough. There's not – you get baseball, and if your team's out of it already by August. And I don't like December. There's the holidays. You get the college football bowl season, but that means less and less every year. So I think – and then you still have hockey and basketball, but they're still new enough that you're not really watching the playoff race or anything. So yeah. I, I'm going to say December, and I, I, I know December is not a popular pick. And you're going to say July and August. No, I'm not. Uh, July for sure. I think everyone can agree that July probably is. I heard someone else today from the sports world say that that we just ended the two worst sports months of the year. Like, I don't think that August is because one, you know, like from our perspective, that's when training camp starts for Notre Dame. And we're here and we're talking about Notre Dame every day. So there are a lot of things to talk about. The month of August just freaking flew right by. And it's because we had things to talk about once again. And even if we weren't specifically covering Notre Dame, you've got, man, I mean, the Pornsters are just coming hard tonight. I wouldn't. Okay. Third block tonight. <laughs> that, that might need to be edited in the long run. But, yeah. yeah um, my point is, like, NFL preseason, NFL training camps, all that stuff – my initial thought was May, May and July. I'm just mm-hmm. not that thrilled about May, but I realize there's a lot of NBA fans and all that stuff, and you and got hockey. NBA playoffs. And, like, even in December, like you say December, you've got NFL regular seasons coming into the home stretch yeah. and, you know, with teams fighting for the playoffs and all that stuff. I'm going to stick with my – I'm going to stick with my gut instinct and say – may i'm not that thrilled with may june is a little bit better because then like you have the finals mm-hmm. you know, like the nba playoffs yeah. and the stanley cup and all that kind of stuff so i'm gonna say i'm gonna say may and july living in indiana and the stuff that i like though i can't say may because that's when the indy 500 is you get memorial day yeah, you get a lot of april, stuff like that april april's i uh, disagree uh, on might that be right might be a little bit more. Yeah, I might lean into April a little bit more, even no. though that's like the start of baseball. No, you get the NCAA championship games always in April. March Madness ends yeah, in April, and the Masters true. is in it's April. Still, it's like you associate the tournament with March more. Well, the Masters is enough to keep a month going. I don't know about that. <laughs> the 8500 can't keep May going for you. I guess the Masters can't do uh, April. Jason says February and March. February might well. But again, like the Super Bowl. college basketball kind of kicking in. Yeah, and you've got the Super Bowl now and all that kind of – I think we can all agree on July. It's just a matter of yeah. what you prioritize well, plus, outside of outside of that, which one you're going to pick. The only sport that's going on in, in July that we're going to really cover is is um, baseball, and they even take a week off. So, right, right. So you, obviously July is a layup. Bobby, that is going to do it for tonight, and that is going to do it for the week. We've got Notre Dame and Ohio State Saturday, and that means Saturday morning, Vince and I will have the uh, IB Countdown to kickoff show from 10 until noon. Brian Driscoll will be jumping in for a couple of different segments with us as well. It'll mostly be Vince and I with Brian kind of jumping in uh, on a couple of different 
segments. And then, of course, they'll have a post-game show afterwards along with Ryan and Sean, you know, the other Sean. And then there'll be a show Sunday night as well. So we've still got tons of podcasts, live podcasts coming up in and around Ohio State. But this is going to be our final show before Saturday night's game. So we'll find out. We'll all be back here next week to see how it all unraveled or how it all went down. One team will be 1-0, one will be 0-1. Thanks for joining us. Remember, hit that like button, subscribe, rate, review, and all that good stuff. Bobby, I will talk to you next week. We will talk to you next week as well. IB Nation Sports Talk. time inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply